Salutations, listeners. Sivalas Vallejo, Valamagulas, Nanu Nanu. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpierre. Timothy Magic. In this podcast, we like to review movies, and we like to deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion on the hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. Uh, In this show, we try to target movies that are not uh, absolute blockbuster smashes. We try to target ones that are not so obscure that you could not go out and get your hands on a copy, even if you wanted to. But instead, uh, we aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies that uh, maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't, maybe you've only seen once and you should see again and you forgot about it. And we review them and we deliver to you uh, our opinion on whether or not they deserve another watch. Um, So, in this episode, the seventh episode of the series, we review the movie... Uh, Mystery Men. Mystery Men. And this movie was a delight. Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about this movie. It is one of my favorites. So I feel like this movie is one of those that, like... This was all really targeted at us when we were growing up. Yeah, like, I, I, I feel like this this was aimed at us, mm-hmm. right between the eyes. Yeah, I've seen this movie I just a countless amount of times. Mark, I yeah, I couldn't put a number on it. Like you could you could say any line in the entire movie, and I would follow it up with the line after that. And I am not a quotes guy normally. You know, they call you Mister Pig. They call mm. me. Missed, that's a line from Lethal Weapon, I believe. But um, <laughs> no, I freaking love this movie. It's right up there for me with like, you know, Anchorman and uh, a little gem called The Wild Wild West. I don't know if you guys have heard of that movie. It's, yeah, no, that was uh, uh, that was. It's Gene. a biopic. It's a yeah. Yeah, but they made a movie out of that old TV show. Uh, sure, sure. Nope. <laughs> that was Gene Wilder, circa like 1976. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a Mel Brooks. That's yeah. a Mel Brooks film, right? Scratching yes. It. Yeah. yeah. It's ter- no, I anyway, continuing. Uh, but but I Tim, Tim, you you haven't seen this except for once, right? Uh, once all the way through. If it was on TV, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's on. Here we go. Oh, gotta go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, this is one of those releases from the blockbuster years back when you know. Uh, a lot of times it was just like, okay, we're getting this this week. I remember passing this VHS like multiple times. Yeah, mm-hmm. when did this uh, this come out here? I think uh, late nineties. This was a ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Ninety nine. I I tail end of the summer. Yeah. You know, for those of you out there in cyberspace, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. We certainly didn't do this, but hypothetically, if you were to engage in some mind altering substances, this is the kind of movie that you could definitely like. You could put, like, phase on half and just kind of, like, bleed in and out of reality whilst this movie is just kind of happening in front of you, and it it would be an enjoyable experience. It's possible you might still feel like that even if you were sober. It's it's that kind of movie. Very possible. So this movie, like we said, 1999, we're going to hit you with some IMDb specs right now. PG-13, two hours and one minute, uh... I, I, I like that runtime. I like a solid two hours on my movies. Uh, action comedy fantasy. Thoughts on that? Nice. Fantasy seems a little weird to me. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's appropriate. Because like, the time and space they're living in is very much not... No, it's more of like an alternate, alternate present day. Because there are aspects of it that are... Definitely futuristic. You know, we've got, you know, zeppelins in the sky, you know. And exaggerated. It's yeah. always dark. 
It's always gloomy and, and, and it's just got this like almost like brutalist architecture, you know, like yeah. something you'd see in like very Gotham, Eastern Ukraine or Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they definitely took some notes from the Schumacher films or maybe they wanted to mock that up a little bit. Definitely. Like the mm-hmm. Batmans out of the 1990s were absolutely mm-hmm. the inspiration for like the theme and color yeah. of this film in, in my Humble opinion. That's something that I don't think I really like came to that realization until I was watching it this time, but that's really what they were going for. It's it's not a city in this world. So maybe fantasy is appropriate. There was also like okay, another thing I noticed, and I'm just gonna jump ahead a little bit here, but like in this film there's this really untouched Chinese theme oh, throughout yeah. this movie that I'd never noticed before. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's Chinese writing everywhere. She's in a Chinese. Uh, she, one of the characters is in a Chinese dress at one point. Like it, it's. Yeah, a lot of popular logos that you overt. guys are familiar with are just you know in in Chinese. Like yeah. the Pepsi logo. I I think that just kind of plays to this like future. You know, I think that was the intent behind it. Yeah, know? and it was almost like Fallout esque in that it took. Um, old technology and placed it in like a setting that made it feel futuristic. Like there's a scene mm-hmm. where they're at the diner and they're watching a commercial at the table on this little <sighs> yeah. TV, like CRT yeah. TV. So like at this, you know, in, in your mind you're thinking, okay, this is futuristic. They're sitting here, they're watching commercials mm-hmm. while they're at a diner. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they're watching commercials on this like dinky little, like almost black and white TV. So it's like this isn't which, futuristic. Which was dated even in 1999. Yeah. It's also got this sort of film noir type vibe to it that takes you right back to sort of 1930s and 40s. Mm-hmm. They sort of wrote that in, I believe, because of the Superman inspiration for the main character or one of the main characters. And mm-hmm. anyways, we'll get into this. There's so a lo- there's a lot of lots to unpack. Ju- there's a lot of decade jumping in this film as far as the fashion goes. Yeah. So so I think what we're we're ultimately circling back to is maybe fantasy was appropriate like on the surface that caught my attention is like maybe that's not not really what they're going for yeah but Mm -hmm. actually as we unpack it i think i think that actually might be right elements i might even call it parody but Mm -hmm. at the time that it came out i don't think that it was as much parody as it Mm -hmm. is today you know right you know we're we're almost to 2020 here the market is just saturated with superhero movies we've got you know, six of them that come out every single year, and they're the tentpole movies for the film studios. Mm-hmm. This movie was before any of that went mm-hmm. on. I mean, when this movie came out, the superhero movies that we had were, you know, I think, was this before or after the original X Men movie? I think it was right I think it was after? before. Yeah. I don't think they oh, the wait, original... no, 2000 for the first Yeah, I don't think the original X Men was in the 90s. No, 2000, yeah. right? So this was like, what, like Spawn existed? Spawn, right. Blade, the Batman Schumachers, the Burton um, Batman movies. Yeah. A little bit of Superman from the 70s. Very different um, superhero And I feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize that, like, Spawn and Blade were, like, kind of charging were, they, away well they were comic movies i don't think i don't think a lot of people like saw that and like everybody knows batman as a comic yeah but like i don't i don't believe that an, an appreciable amount of the population if you just showed them spawn or blade would just immediately make the association well clearly that's a comic book mm-hmm. yeah. so the description of this film in imdb is a group of inept amateur superheroes must try to save the day when a supervillain threatens to destroy a major superhero and the city. That's it. I feel like that's it. Yeah. That buttons it up mm-hmm. nicely without giving anything away. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a really, that's a, that's a solid description. Uh, director, Kinka Usher. 
I I don't recognize that name. Yeah, this is not the Yeezys. Uh, no, I'm thinking Kanye. Wow, wow. Well, yeah. Mm. Shout out to Kanye, I guess. No, I mean they call me Mr. Pig, and they call you Mr. Pig, <laughs> and I retract that shout out to Kanye. Sorry, Kanye. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> yep. Take a name. Uh, right. So, sorry, Kinka. I I don't know you, but you did a great job. Not known for much else. <laughs> So, cast. Okay, let me just Light say that round. like we're we're gonna tr- we're gonna try to to keep this as brief as possible because the cast list on this movie is fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me start out by a little known dude, Ben Stiller. Uh, you might know him from Heavyweights, Tropic Thunder. He's probably sitting in your living room right now. Yeah, meet the Fockers. Uh, I'll take up the next one here, William H Macy. You know, I think right now the biggest thing he's he's known for is you know Shameless, but I mean William H Macy is he's legendary, national treasure. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'll go with Hank Azaria, of course. Obviously, many voices on The Simpsons, and you might even know him from The Birdcage. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, like a movie. <laughs> oh, he was also in uh, the second Night at the Museum. Oh yeah. He played uh, Common Ra. Oh yeah. <laughs> no. Um, let's just. Cal uh, Mitchell's in it. Paul Rubin. Kel Mitchell from Keenan and Kel. Loves orange yeah. soda. Like, loves orange soda. Oh, my God. Greg Kinnear? Freaking... Oh, Greg Kinnear. You're going to get... You're L- gonna, you're gonna, yeah, he's going to kill you as you take off your top. <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. What else we know? We got Greg Kinnear from Flash of Genius, which is also on our list to review. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Janine Garofalo is in this movie. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, it... Steals the show. Oh, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I might know Jean Gar- Janine Garofalo from uh, Wet Hot American Summer... Um, basically anything awesome in the... few Kevin the, Smith films, uh, like Dogma, I think she's yeah. a bit part of that. Um, anything, anything awesome from, like, the 90s and early 2000s, Janine mm-hmm. Garofalo mm-hmm. has got it. Yeah. She's also a talented writer, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I Who mean, else we got in this? We could go on for days. Uh, oh, uh, Jeffrey, uh, Rush. Oh, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. We cannot forget Jeffrey Academy Rush. Award winner Jeffrey Rush. Yeah, uh, Water for Elephants. <laughs> oh, my God. Pirates of the Caribbean series. Oh, uh, yeah, Pirates of the uh, Caribbean is Barbosa. Yeah. He was King Speech, the the perfect you know pick I think mm-hmm. for Casanova Frankenstein. <laughs> That's true. Okay, can we, we just so like much. can we just like press a pause? Uh-huh. We're, we're we're gonna keep going with this cast yeah. list because like there's a lot of other amazing people in this, but like his character in this movie so beautiful is Casanova Frankenstein, oh, yeah. and I would just like to point out that film studios. Get your shit together, because Casanova Frankenstein is the best fucking character name in cinematic history, and you need to start stacking up against that. Because mm-hmm. this movie came out in 99, mm-hmm. and this movie has defeated everything that has come out since with respect to character names. You do not get better than Casanova motherfucking Frankenstein. Somebody had to just come up with that. Like, right. I'd love yes. to, I, There'd be a whole movie around that. I'd like, to, <laughs> you know? I'd like to think there was a bowl of names, and they just pulled those two out of like characters in public domain just fucking <laughs> feel throwing like darts at a board with like <laughs> random words on it oh <laughs> uh, we got eddie izzard in this movie oh god yeah. right oh, i forgot dude. he was in this because there's been that many years since i've seen it from start to finish so we got eddie izzard as as tony p <laughs> who is one half of the leader the other one being tony c of the disco boys <laughs> A, a disco-themed gang that roams around Champion right. City wreaking havoc. Again, the decade jumping is just out so insane in this movie. Disco is not dead. <laughs> disco is life. 
Yes, I killed your father. <laughs> All right, so I, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, we've hit sort of the major players. There are a couple of minor people that crop up in cameos in this movie that I want to, I want to point out. Um, again, this movie came out in 99 and it was just on the upswing of Dane Cook. And he's actually in this movie in a bit part. Uh, this is before he ever had a leading role in a film. He plays the waffler. A, a superhero who is waffle themed and ch- trying out for their superhero gang, and uh, um, yeah, he's pretty amazing. Uh, with his griddle of justice, yeah. he bashes the enemy in the head or burns them like so. <sighs> he also has truth syrup, which is low fat. I am the waffle, <laughs> Golden Crispy. Bad guys are history. <laughs> Uh, who else we got? Oh man, my my man crush, Doug Jones. Ooh, Doug no. Jones. You've you've seen him. You might not know his face, but man, he's been in everything. This is actually one of the few movies that he does That's show his, his face. face. Yeah, and you you're right, Tim. You won't recognize him for that reason. I would also like to point out, as a little, little aside. Tim and I have actually hugged Doug Jones. Yes. So we have that going for us, and mm-hmm. and that's that's on my resume. Oh yeah. He's a racer head. <laughs> <laughs> Pencil man. Pencil man. Pencil man. Uh, but you might, oh, you might know him. Uh, he Racist. plays uh, Billy the Zombie mm-hmm. in Hocus Pocus. He plays the Fingerling and the Fawn in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Yep. Um, what else is uh, Shape of Water? Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Abe Sapien. Uh, he's the Silver Surfer. Yep. Uh, I mean, Doug Jones. Dude is unstoppable. Holy crap. I'm just going through this list here. Little known uh, name here. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Michael Bay. Have you guys heard of the name Michael Bay? Michael Bay has a cameo in this movie as a throwaway frat boy gang member. Mm-hmm. That oh. was Michael Oh, he was in the- That is amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not see it. That was Michael freaking Bay. I know who you're talking about. Like, now, right. I remember seeing him in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that was Michael Bay. Uh, yeah, because there was so much... Again, everyone looks so much... Obviously, it's 99. It's 20-something years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> everybody. Right, so, the clock. Oh, let's not forget Tom Waits. Tom Dude's Waits. Dude's known mostly for his music, but if you've ever seen a little movie called Seven Psychopaths, I highly recommend it. He almost steals the show in that, too. What, what's he waiting for? Uh, you know, for his uh, next album to drop. And also Satan to come and claim him. <laughs> Just casual. Yeah. So, let me, like, as a quick aside, just, like, talk about, like, movies that have this big of a cast list, in my humble opinion, and who am I? I'm just a chucklehead talking into a microphone in my basement. Um, To me, this speaks to the kind of movie that was organized in a way that a lot of people wanted to be a part of it. And it was organized by people that were so well-liked that they were able to get a whole lot of people attached to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the movies that I've seen that sort of start like that, they have uh, people on set are having a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. and it, it bleeds into what's actually being filmed and and the the movie i think this movie is no exception i think this movie is actually probably the standard for that it's very clear that there's great chemistry between the people who are act the actors and and probably the crew as well and that people seem to be having a lot of fun and there's a lot of good energy 
Does it, would you guys agree? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And I think a lot of times when you see ensemble casts like that, you know, I don't know if you guys have the same sense, but like I will sometimes feel like the actors are trying to steal the scene. They're trying to like mm-hmm. hog screen time or like they're trying to ham it up in a way that mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I don't know, I'm Tom Cruise. And like you're, you're watching that scene. And even though he's a bit part, you know, it's all about him being Tom Cruise. This movie felt different. Like you mm-hmm. recognized the people, you knew that they were big, but you didn't feel like they were trying to like soak up mm-hmm. all the screen time they just added to it and i don't know if that's a nuance that you guys felt but i you know when you're contrasting it to movies that have just kind of just a, a freaking jambalaya plate of of names i think this does it better than than most agreed i was very uh, concerned as the movie kept going i was like oh shit that's ray Kneeler. oh shit that's tom waits oh shit that's right all three of these guys are in this oh hang is there oh my god I got worried at first. I'm like, because again, it was not fresh in my mind. I'm like, oh crap, they are gonna just overkill with, and Eddie Izzard's not gonna get right. And because I thought it was gonna be something like a Valentine's Day or a movie 47. I'm mm-hmm. like, how many people were blackmailed into this movie now? But it didn't feel like that after time. It actually did feel kind of genuine and ensemble um, driven. Yeah, yeah, I felt like they were roped in because mm-hmm. like a buddy called them up and was mm-hmm. like, I'm making this movie. Mm-hmm. I think I think you might be interested. And they're like. Hell yeah. Like, write me a bit part. I'll be in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> that's sort of the general theme. That's what we're going for. That's what's happening. Would we recommend this movie? Um, Recommend it? Uh, let me think. I don't... Yes, I would recommend this movie to everyone except your crotchety old grandma. All right. Uh, so well over the 50% mark. Whoo! Yeah, to my uh, uh, close uh, s- circle of friends, I would. Yeah. Um, Close circle of friends. I don't think. I don't the think table again. Yeah, like, like, again, clearly it's not. We for, don't need to see. It. We've seen it. No, I know. Like, <laughs> but the other nerd crews, like my D and D groups and my uh, improv uh, circles, yeah. Shameless sure, plug. I, I would not come see us at uh, <laughs> Metro Detroit Improv. Our next show is January eighteenth. Uh, no. Allegedly. Allegedly. So, Tune into Plus Four Friends the podcast. So you would <laughs> now recommend you it, but you have some reservations. Yeah, I don't think it's again. It's it's such a niche movie. It, it really wouldn't appeal. Do you to think? It. I think so. It does. It does hit our demographic yeah. squarely. It does. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. We need to be aware of that. Uh, I mean, is it over the fifty percent mark though? Yeah, I think. I think, um, especially since it now in twenty nineteen, there's a plethora, like you were saying, a plethora. Yeah, of superhero well. movies. Yeah, um, it lands much harder than it did 20 years ago. Sure. Yeah. All right, how about you? Uh, I Well over the 50% mark for me. I would highly recommend this movie. Honestly, with the pervasiveness of superhero movies in our society today, I think this is going to land on a much wider audience than it, it would have in 1999. Um, and I think for that reason, it's the kind of movie that like I would have recommended in 99, but I'm absolutely going to recommend it now. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys are cool. Should we move into spoiler territory? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to we're gonna dive in. Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, <clears throat> we're going to move into our <laughs> deep personal overview. All right. So in this movie, basically what you've got is you've got three friends. You have the shoveler, played by William H. Macy. You've got the blue Raja, played by Hank Azaria, and you've got um, Mr. Furious, played by Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. They are three, again, y- y- this is radio, you can't see my hands, I'm doing air quotes, three 
superheroes. They're vigilantes. They're, they kind of are vigilantes. Yeah. And, they're, uh, they're cosplayers. Yeah. They don't have any particular, like, powers per se mm-hmm. i mean maybe hank azaria you know he, he's he's pretty accurate the the blue raja is the master of silverware so he throws silverware the shoveler as you might imagine um just hits people he with a, a shovel he just got a spade and he's going around town with it he's got tight jeans and he hits people with a shovel hey he also you were checking out his jeans the whole time you were no, yeah. i liked him you know i liked his upper body a little bit more and that's, that's what fair. did it for me he also yeah. wears his his child's uh catcher's uh, protection <laughs> for baseball yeah. um yeah, and then mr furious <laughs> literally just wears a leather jacket and gets furious and tries to beat <laughs> things up so these three are roaming around this uh uh sort of fantastical city very akin to gotham and they are trying to be superheroes the city is called champion city they're doing their best. Uh, meanwhile, Greg Kinnear plays a character named Captain Amazing, who is a genuine superhero. Again, all right, little aside here. They use the word superhero pretty loosely in this film. I always have taken superhero to mean, like, literally, like, somebody who is a hero that has superpowers. Mm-hmm. And I've always drawn a very, like, stark line between people like Iron Man and Batman mm-hmm. and, like, superheroes, people who have abilities that other people don't have. Like, like Iron Man and Batman are basically just like rich, crazy people. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, that's what Captain Amazing is. I don't know. He can kick people across the room. Do you think that's his suit, or do you think that's him? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel like if you train your entire life, you can kick people across the room. Or if like you've got I don't a think metal that's how physics work. a metal suit that's like enhancing you or <laughs> some shit. But like, I I don't think they have an ability that like nobody else possesses. It, does, think he's, uh, it does give him the ability to fly. Yeah. True, it's a jetpack, so I'm I'm inclined to believe it's the suit with the power. Yeah, either way. Oh, you're talking about Captain, Captain, Captain Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I, fuck, I thought I you were no talking idea. about Batman. Oh, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, we know. Uh, yeah, so, no. Batman doesn't exist. Great Kinnear <laughs> can actually kick you across the room. Have you seen him? Matt's wild. That's why they got him for this movie. Yeah. It's actually... Scary. They call He's him... sneaking up behind you right now. They call him Greg Kicknear. Kick, right? That's, Kicknear. You yeah. don't want to be kicked yeah. near him. God damn it with these dad so, jokes. A- anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Amazing, he's this super you know, popular hero for Champion City. He's wiped out all the supervillains. He has sponsors. You see him in a few scenes as in a commercial, just like, you know, advertising toothpaste or, or, or whatever. And he's got all these patches all over him. Think like a like a race car, like a NASCAR race car. He's just <laughs> yeah. got a bunch of logos all over him. Mm-hmm. They're all attached with, like, freaking Velcro. <laughs> and after the initial scene, he gets word that Pepsi, Pepsi, is dropping him. Mm-hmm. And he can't have that, you know? That's the taste of a new generation. (laughs) (laughs) So he's talking to his publicist, you know, casually. The superhero talking to his publicist. And they realize that the reason why Pepsi dropped him is he's just not as relevant anymore. He's done such a good job that, uh, you know, he's taken out all the villains. So he kind of hatches this idea to break one of those supervillains out to drum up media attention and ultimately catapult his career even higher. Get that Pepsi logo back on his jacket. So that's kind of like the, the, the setup. You know, that's what drops our antagonist, Mr. Casanova Frankenstein, into the movie. Casanova Frankenstein is the villain that he decides to break out. He's in this, like, insane asylum, you know, like Arkham, you know, Arkham Asylum, kind of very reminiscent of that. And he ends Mm -hmm. up like, um, uh, uh, first of all, one of the running jokes throughout the movie is that, was it Lance? 
Yeah. Uh, got oh, there a, you go. Can't remember his last name, but Mr. Uh, to uh, amazing. Yeah, is, uh, is Lance. He's, yeah, it's, it's basically the glasses. It's Bruce Wayne, it's Batman, the, yeah, or Clark, Clark Kent, Kent. Uh, yeah. Superman, and it's it's like Lance something and and Captain Amazing. Lance Hunt. Lance Hunt. There it is. And Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. How would, if he took them off? How could he fight crime? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. How would he see? <laughs> and of course, Ben Stiller's character is the only person who's like <laughs> who's like forwarding this theory, and everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. And he's like. Uh, yeah, C- Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. Lance Hunt does, and he's like, he takes them off when he transforms. That's crazy. How would he see? Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh. it's 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 like very explicitly poking fun at that sort of that sort of dichotomy. Anyway, so his alter ego, Lance Hunt, uh, shows up with a letter from Captain Amazing, where he basically endorses the release of Casanova Frankenstein. Casanova Frankenstein gets out, immediately starts uh, reassembling his gangs, Mm -hmm. starting with the Disco Boys, which are just amazing every scene they're in you know it kicks off with some funky beat and then like it, the, the camera like slowly well almost I, I, we can rewatch it i bet every scene with them starts with a pan up from their shoes from the platform shoes you know kind of yeah. like angling up mm-hmm. like everything it's is just so ham and they strike mm-hmm. a pose and they're immediately like hairspraying themselves like mm-hmm. it's just it, it, it's an amazing idea yeah to just have a gang themed as disco they don't even point in a direction without first moving their index finger to their hip yeah it's like that way (laughs) so uh casanova frankenstein uses this like newfound freedom to trap captain amazing and basically puts him in captivity uh he's going to kill him the trio realizes that this is going to happen and they realize that they need to recruit some uh, fellow superheroes. They hear about the Invisible Boy, uh, played by Kel Mitchell, and they go to Kel Mitchell's house and he reveals to them that he, he can, in fact, turn invisible, but only when no one is watching. Not Including e- himself. Not even himself. <laughs> And they're about to leave, and he re- they he basically says like, "Listen, I've got the connection. I'm networked. I'll plug you into all of these other superheroes." Can't gloss over the line though. It's like, "All right, Dad, I'm going into my room with three strange men." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. His dad doesn't even react. Doesn't react. Like, yeah. <laughs> In that search, they also end up bumping into a superhero they were already familiar with, the Spleen. Oh, uh, so good. Who was uh, Paul? I think it's played by Paul Root. Yes, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And he, the spleen, has a very specific superpower. Um, He was walking down the street one day when he was 13, and he accidentally cut the cheese. And while he was doing this in his teenage awkwardness, he decided to blame it on an old gypsy woman that was walking by. Big mistake! (laughs) (laughs) The gypsy woman placed a curse upon his head, and she decreed that since he... Smelt it, he shall forever be. He who dealt it! <laughs> Alright, so the spleen, uh, basically, he farts. He has projectile farts. Yeah. Yeah, weaponized flatulence. And yeah. what's funny, too, is that's, like, one of the stupidest powers in this whole movie. But it's one of, mm-hmm. like, the most, like, legitimately effective it powers. Easily the most effective. more than once. <laughs> like, it's like a combination between mm-hmm. him and the bowler. But, like, yeah. they're, like, they actually seem yeah. to have some kind of powers right. to them. 
<laughs> he is. He's the only one that sort of has a, an air of legitimacy mm-hmm. to what he oh, does. I like what you get, an air of legitimacy. A know? gas of legitimacy. Yeah, he just points it, <laughs> and he puts his hand out, and, like, whoever's around him pulls it. Like, there's a scene where he's, like, looking over his shoulder, compensate for air conditioning, you know, and just <laughs> takes him out. It's so over the top. So at this point, you've got the shoveler, Mr. Furious, you've got the Blue Raja, you've got Invisible Boy, and you've got the Spleen. Mm-hmm. And they decide to hold tryouts. And uh, during their tryouts, that, that is where they meet Pencil Man and the Waffler, mm-hmm. who they do not decide to go with. Uh, but that is where they meet the Bowler, who is Jeanine Garofalo's character. Um, she carries around a bowling ball that just happens to have her father's skull in it. Her father used to be a superhero named the bowler and i'm going to save that uh a particular element of that meeting for for my quote at the end of this <laughs> but uh <laughs> they end up all of them taking on Casanova frankenstein in sort of a first run mm-hmm. it goes kind of as well as you'd expect and then they end up getting saved at one point and joined by the sphinx who now, he is ter- he, he's mysterious oh he's terribly mysterious terribly mysterious no, his entire like character is is that you know you don't you have no idea where like the the limits of his powers are. I mean, I heard uh, that he can like cut guns in half with his mind. Really? Mm. I mean, you seen him do it? We did. No. Oh. <laughs> I think so. No, his character's fantastic. He's full I think of. I was a, in the bathroom for that. You know, in a, in a movie, just chuck full of one-liners some of his are are the best you know if you if you want to go left you have to go right yeah you know again like yeah he's got this like formulaic way of portraying this uh, his his lines and the only person who seems to notice is ben stiller's character it's a really amazing sort of recurring joke throughout the movie i i, I just again the writing of this movie is just fucking outstanding mm-hmm. so that's the full team you've got the Sphinx, the Bowler, the Spleen, Invisible Boy, Blue Raja, the Shoveler, and Mr. Furious. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fucked up dorm party uh, of the Super Friends. It is. Yeah. It is. is. They are also enhanced mm-hmm. by uh, Doctor Heller, who is a sort of oh, mad genius that makes weapons, but nothing lethal. Mm-hmm. And together they team up to take on Casanova Frankenstein. While they're taking on Casanova Frankenstein in the climax of the film, they just so happened to accidentally kill the captive Captain. Oh yeah, they amazing. They, they kill Captain Amazing. Mm-hmm. Straight up, like melt him, turn him into dust yep. because they can't figure out the fucking machine. <laughs> it's the kind of scene where like it's the scene is over and you're just staring at the screen. And you're like, that just happened. That's a, that is a left turn for a superhero movie. <laughs> like that, it took all the classics and was like, "Yeah, we're gonna save the day." Nope. No. <laughs> Did anyone hear me when I said reset button? Yeah. <laughs> How many toggle switches in Toto? <laughs> nope. When you say toggle, do you mean switch? To- toggle switch. <laughs> it's so good. Um, we were Roger killed the captain. <laughs> so that kind of like sums up the major beats of the movie. You mm-hmm. know, one of the things that I liked about this movie, you know, that almost it makes it like an adventure movie to me, or kind of the movie that I personally call an adventure movie, or whatever, is it's got many peaks and valleys. You know, there are many scenes where the the action kind of ramps up and then it dies down, and then it ramps up, and then I mean, they make mm-hmm. several attempts to take on Casanova and his gang. 
um, and they're almost always failing. But it, it gives you a chance to like get excited, laugh, and then breathe. And then excited, laugh, and then breathe. And by the time you're done with it, when you're when you're thinking back on the path that they took, it felt like it was an adventure. You know, they they did a lot of things. There wasn't this meet, build up, conflict resolution. You know, it was it was all over the place. And I think it it added to the movie. That's a good point. And it was pa- mm-hmm. yet like you like you were saying, it was paced well. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was it was definitely cyclical, but like each time you gained a little bit more until the climax, and then. Yeah, it, it, it was a very well, well spaced, well designed film. Yeah. I think the term is like what peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want you want rising and falling action throughout your uh, serial adventure movie. Yeah. Now, do we you know credit that to the directing or the writing? Because I I felt like the dialogue in this movie was was great. Like it was it's full of dialogue. It's an action movie, but it is full of dialogue. I got to give it up for the writing. I think of all of the sort of major classes of film aspect, the writing of this film is what makes it what it is. Everything was amazing. Uh, It really like hit all points well, but the writing was like a thing of its own. It was, it was witty. It was just, it was just a, a clever movie. And I think you said this at one point during the movie, Mark, you were like, every line in this is a one liner. Mm hmm. Like, there's no part of this movie that can't just stand in isolation by itself. It's just a genuinely funny, well-written movie. Yep, yep. And I, you know, I guess moving to to acting a little bit here, I enjoyed that, like, each one of the characters felt like like that. Like, they were uh, an individual, and they they were a character. There was a, a, you know... When you've got like an ensemble caster, it's easy to kind of get like caught up in just all the the bodies in it. But each person reacted left of screen to whatever was going on. I mean, even if they were just running across the screen trying to like sneak around, you know, you which had, definitely happened at one point in the yeah, movie. Yeah, you had characters like uh, you know Mr. Furious who was like jumping and rolling and like crawling, or you had the Blue Roger who was like tiptoeing with his hands up in the air you know like a scooby-doo character right. tiptoeing. <laughs> yeah and then you've got the shoveler who's you know he's a he's a family man he's very you know just by the numbers he just kind of puts his arms up and he just kind of runs across you know <laughs> and, and none of that's not there that, that's not taking center stage that's just kind of happening that's in the good background. character development actually that's, that's so actually good. fitting into their personas mm-hmm. and i will say this about the writing like the, why i give a little tip more to the writing each character does rise above his or her station they actually do develop uh, to a higher place than where they started and many of them get closure into what they needed. Mm-hmm. Janine Garofalo's character, uh, the bowler, uh, gets closure with her avenging her father. Roy gets the girl. Uh, Shoveler gets respect from the home. Um, Blue Raja connects with his mom. Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody gets accepted or, like, rising above from where they started at a lower point in the movie. That's so true. That's yeah. kind of like Heroes 101 right there. So it fits the formula, even though it's a goofy fart comedy. <laughs> And it is. And it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it stays true to a formula. So hats off to that for like good details. Yep. Yep. I think in terms of like score and soundtrack, I mean, it was your... I, To be honest, even though I love this movie, if you played me just the soundtrack for it, 
I think there'd be plenty of tracks that I didn't recognize, you know, mm-hmm. like there was the epic, epic music. A lot of horns in the, in the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, burr, 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 like, oh no, Castle knows Frankenstein got out. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, blowing up the insane asylum. Yeah. Ah. The score, the score was nothing to write home about except in that, like it, it really, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it fit, it, yeah. it exuded that sort of like mid nineties Batman film mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah. But the soundtrack, I think it did have like, Oh, it was like all disco, you know. And well, I was there's disco. disco. There was some pop songs thrown in there. All Star from Smash saying, Mouth yeah. was the was the sort of like. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a shooting know. star soundtrack. It breaks the mold. It's, yeah. it's true. Well, you know, well the meteor man begs to differ. <laughs> right. Is that the song from Shrek? Is that is Shrek came up with that song? Is that? Oh, uh, Shrek did. Uh, I'm a believer, Mark. Hey now, uh, yeah, check, you're a believer. Uh, check <laughs> your game on. Check your soundtrack, Mark. Oh. Uh, yeah. Chickity check yourself and, before you wreck yourself. Yeah, and then they also, and then Puss and Boots came in with a sequel, doing "Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself." That's exactly what I was mm-hmm. talking about. No, but this, uh, this movie actually, yeah, good point with the the Shrek thing. This was a one of two movies in a very short span of time that were able to capitalize on the popularity of Smash Mouth <laughs> while they were popular. I mean, and I, this, I love this that point, song. You might as, at this point, you might as well be walking on the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, like, mm-hmm. I just, I hold no ill will towards Smash Mouth. Like, <laughs> they helped make the late 90s and early 2000s what they were. And I, you know, my hat's off to them. Well done, Smash Mouth. I prefer smashing pumpkins myself. It being October oh. when we're recording this. Honestly, know, you can smash anything and I'll mm-hmm. be fine. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. Other than that, there were a couple of songs that I think sort of tickled my fancy. They're not they're not jumping to my head right now, but you know, it was it was all right. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that like even though it didn't make this movie stand out, the soundtrack necessarily, I do appreciate that having a soundtrack that is very like pop driven, very knowable songs in the time and place is a very like late nineties, early two thousands thing to do. I, I don't think a lot of other slices of time are as characterized by like let's just write in a super popular song and just you know yeah and the way they did it too was like they just boiled down like the most memorable 10 seconds of those Mm -hmm. songs yeah and they just hit it with that 10 seconds and then the scene you know Mm -hmm. they weren't full songs it was like here are the disco boys here's Mm -hmm. like you know here's a slice of the Bee Gees that everybody knows (laughs) and then it cuts to the dialogue like they I think they were really uh, intentional with their execution of that nostalgia yeah and I think I think this movie is sort of part of a larger movement that was going on at that point that like people have not sort of tapped into before or since that really capitalized on like super popular songs yeah. And I, 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 I dig that. Um, I thought this movie was just creative as shit, though. I would oh, go, yeah. you, know, I, you know, we could go down to Harmony House or, you know, FYE, you know, uh, pick up this on compact disc, the soundtrack. Those are the small round things that are like, mm-hmm. they're reflective. It's like, it's like a Walkman. Walk- uh, yeah. That sounds yeah. very kind of gender biased. Well, you know how you, well, walk person. There we go. Yeah. Oh, it's like a phonograph. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like a wax cylinder, but not made of wax. Yes. It's like a string quartet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so... It, we went right back to the fucking Reigns of Castamere there. Right. <laughs> We're fine. It's fine. No. Um, but yeah, create, mm-hmm. creatively, uh, it's so good. It's so just batshit crazy, but it fits in like this like endearing way. <clears throat> Um, you know, the, the jokes are super random. 
you know, they don't, I think they hit you with so many jokes mm-hmm. that some of them fall flat, but I think, I don't know. It uh, makes rewatchability massive. Oh, for sure. Like the rewatchability factor on this movie is absolutely through the roof. Yep. Um, the other thing that I, I just like, all right, I'm just going to circle back mm-hmm. and say like fucking Casanova Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. That is some of the most creative. I like, like, character development i could possibly imagine and it didn't stop with his like his name and his his acting but like first of all jeffrey rush probably the most brilliant choice for that character and then also the physical character Mm -hmm. like the way they did his hair Mm -hmm. he had like you know you guys remember finger armor he had like at least four or five pieces of finger armor on at any one time. Mm-hmm. He had this like crushed velvet jacket that, you know, went down to his mid thigh. He was wearing like these sort of casual slippers. It's just like, who the fuck is this guy? How did you think this up? Casanova Frankenstein also just happens to be a supervillain. just happens to be the kind of person who can create an atomic defraculator. I have no idea if I'm saying that right, but that was the, that was, some version of that was the fucking angry thing that he created that was going to melt the head of the town. I I love how just casually they throw in techno jargon. Oh, it's (laughs) amazing. It's it's just, like, it's not, not even thinking twice about it, just so, that's, I think that's brilliant delivery on, like, Tom Waits' part and, and, um, and Jeffrey Rush's part, just like, oh yeah, no, that's what it is. It's a subatomic fraculator. Yeah. And he's just, yeah. And like, no big deal. It's just something that happens. (laughs) In this world. Oh, okay, that's what we have. There's a point at which Tom Waits is just, like, rambling on for, like, it, it's got to be 20, 30 seconds. Yeah. It's completely incomprehensible. Like... A bunch of Star Trek jargon. Yeah, like, just it, throwing out there. if you all out there in cyberspace have ever seen uh, the videos of the Turbo Encabulator, I highly recommend uh, uh, Googling that, and it's very reminiscent of that. So just go ahead, pause the pause the sound right now. <laughs> Go Google Turbo Encabulator, watch the like three minute video on it, maybe read up on it a little bit and come back and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. They do that shit throughout the whole movie. And they, they actually say like this one name in the very beginning about what he has built. And then no other character repeats that name in the same way for the rest of the movie. It's all some thing that sounds like it, but it's not actually that. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, do we have anything we want to add for intangibles? I mean, I feel like we're, we're pretty thoroughly dicing this movie up and, and explaining it. I mean, this movie is full of what I would call intangibles, and I, I would kind of chuck it up to the just the synergy of everyone in the room. You know, every absurd thing that happens that just fits in an endearing way. Now, I'm biased. You know, I love this movie. I've seen it countless times, but... I, I will stand by this movie. I will I will take it out to dinner. Maybe you don't want a second date. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Do you guys have anything you want to add to Intangibles? Because I didn't really add anything there. I just... Uh... On Intangibles, I, I'd actually like to, to resurrect something we've already brought up and sort of lump it into the Intangibles category, and that's rewatchability. I think that is something that is like so understated with a lot of movies. And like mm-hmm. as a person who rewatches movies a lot, um, I, I'm the kind of person who... Rewatchability for me is both. I think my threshold for rewatchability is much lower than most people's. I will rewatch a lot of things a lot of times. That being said, I think that makes me particularly sensitive to when something is exceptionally rewatchable or maybe not so much. And this movie, I can say, is the kind of movie that could just 
to conjure up some stuff from our earlier podcasts could just live in your DVD player for extended periods of time and you could just hit play every night as you went to bed and just fall asleep to it. I will, Which, s- I will say, gentlemen, I'm getting a lot of feedback from like this. Ev- I'm having some flashbacks to your evolution reviews. To, mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of like in that vein for you guys. Which IMDb did recommend, like, oh, hey, by the way, if you like this, watch Evolution. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you're right. I've got a soft yeah. spot for the dumb humor you know oh that's fine i could watch almost heroes a hundred times in a uh, row yeah and it's, this very much is, is that i yeah. have to you know it's oh, yeah. not deep it's, it's not and it's not trying to be anything it's no. not in this uh, after this first wave of 90s superhero movies it's not trying to be anything other than you know a, a silly take on it yeah um, as far as critiques go i mean i think saying it's not deep is probably a legitimate critique but i think that critique is is sort of undercut by the notion that this movie is completely aware that it is not deep Mm-hmm. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's not pretending to be anything that it's not like you mm-hmm. said. Um, it's sort of like almost heroes, and you, you just brought that up mm-hmm. when characters would make you know ri- just ridiculous statements or whatever. A lot of times it would pan to another character who's just staring at them, <laughs> you know, and then you're just getting their reaction to like this absurdity. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, they 100 percent knew mm-hmm. what it was. What do we want to move on to next? I mean, I mean, as far as the directing goes, I thought it was very well shot. I know I have heard people say that they are a little sensitive to like certain certain angles or or certain lenses that are used because they project a very sort of uncomfortable, I guess, balance in the scene, you know? Um, I'm not particularly sensitive to that, but it might be something that some viewers are a little uncomfortable with. This movie also and this is a vibe thing. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this out there. This is not something that can be sort of like bottled up and say this is the kind of thing that i'm talking about but like this movie is very quirky in sort of like a dark but also bland pastel kind of way and i i realized that i just threw out a bunch of words that don't necessarily like go together or didn't make a coherent sentence but i'm gonna try and tie it to something that you might understand what i'm saying uh it was very reminiscent of edward scissorhands and I think a lot of that might be because of Tim Burton's involvement in both Edward Scissorhands and in the mid-90s Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because the director and the creative team were drawing elements from those movies, this has a very, like, Tim Burton-y vibe that I think a lot of people are sensitive to and I don't think everybody likes. I like it a lot. But there are definitely, like, some scenes, some elements of this movie that you might watch and you're like... I don't know why this just makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like it just feels weird. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you think? I, know, I feel like yeah, they wanted to make a movie with their friends. Uh, like um, Usher wanted to do this, and Ben Stiller probably brought some buddies on. And yeah, it is over gratuitous. The amount of wide angle close ups they use, it's gratuitous. <laughs> it's <laughs> it gets kind of old really fast, and it really only works for Stiller's character. Because it should be, because he's Furious is supposed to be in your face, and you are supposed to get kind of that weird, unstable like look of it. It doesn't matter for Shoveler's wife, and it doesn't matter for Jeffrey Rush's character, and it doesn't matter for a good chunk of the other characters. It really doesn't fit the narrative of those characters in my mind. So that's that's like my that's a that's a little thing that stood out to me more this time watching it twenty years later. See, I. I, I think I enjoyed that, but yeah. you're saying it, it actually took you out of it. It took me out of it a little bit. This is like, like as like so many people hated the Dutch angles in Thor. And I didn't mind that. Like I actually didn't care. Like whatever. So so what uh, what, what is a Dutch angle? It's for, a uh, for shot a from the uh, a tilt on the lower side of the screen. 
usually a left or right angle, um, tilting from a low angle to the screen, going up in a diagonal. Hmm. Um, and wide angle f- close-ups, um, you're going to see a little bit more of their face. You're going to see a little bit more of their sides of uh, their surroundings. Stretches their face Stretches, out it, across it's, the it's, screen. Yeah, it's got that. It's a very unsettling It gets shot. more. It can be unsettling, especially in, in creepier settings or in um, uh, places where they want to get more intimate into a... Uh, situation that would take you into, I don't know, somebody's perspective in a different way. Um, and again, it works for Furious because he's supposed to be in your face and he's supposed to be unstable, a little shaky in, in times. Now, do you think, I don't know, would you give him a pass in this movie? Because you could tell that they were doing it intentionally because they did it to the dog. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> yeah, they did. It's almost like a like a nod, like, hey, we're going to do this well, all beca- the time. Did it just become a rhyming joke during production then? Because that's what I need to know then. So <laughs> right. so I think that's yeah. something yeah. that when you were describing that sort of popped into my head is like, I, I don't know this for a fact, but like... This movie seemed so aware of itself. Mm-hmm. It seemed so involved in what it was doing. And it seemed so intentional about trying to rip off those, like, mid-90s Batman films mm-hmm. that I kind of wonder if, like, maybe one or all of those movies, those Batman movies, were, like, egregious on that particular point. And because of that, they adopted it and kind of had it as a running joke that like Amazing. oh we're just gonna do this shit over and over mm-hmm. and and they yeah they really did i mean <laughs> they really did. up till the end yeah i mean there's even a scene you've got a finger cam have you ever seen a <laughs> sure. finger oh cam? my god oh my god you know what fucking no, no 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 we're rinding the tape we're going back to to the intangibles that uh we we liked uh fucking finger cam oh my god dude i mean it's it's okay if you've ever played a first person shooter you know you've got like the gun right in front of you and you're going at the this is a finger cam Casanova mm-hmm. Frankenstein of course it's Casanova Frankenstein but Casanova he's, he's attacking Mr. Furious he throws his pinky out it's got this long acrylic on it and he just like hisses at him and then suddenly there's like a freaking GoPro or whatever on his finger mm-hmm. and you like follow it around mm-hmm. it's like it's literally like lashing out in first person with this finger cam Oh, just absolutely the most creative first-person finger camera scene I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's right up yeah. there with the legendary first-person yeah. camera uh, finger cam finger cams. Well, yeah. While we're talking about intangibles, though, uh, should we talk about the bowling ball physics <laughs> or like the bowling ball CGI? Well, did that age well for you guys? Because not so much for me. <laughs> um. I don't think it took me out of it, and I think no. it's because of the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. I feel like if this movie took itself more seriously, that would have bothered me a lot mm-hmm. more. But it's interesting that you brought up how the film aged, mm-hmm. because to be honest, and Mark, you touched on this a little earlier, I think this movie, as much as I loved it when it came out, I think it's fo- even funnier now. Mm. I think it aged so well, like a fine wine. And part of that, I think, is because of the amount of superhero movies that have come out and how in, ingrained our culture has become mm-hmm. in superhero movies. Mm-hmm. It's, I think worth it, a, it's worth a rewind for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, I think it, it, it lands harder now. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, because like the, the types of jokes they're making and the things they're riffing on mm-hmm. just weren't, they weren't permeating every aspect of our culture when this came out in 99. Like you said, you had like, you know, okay, you had the Schumacher Batman. You had the the Burton Batman. Mm-hmm. You had some some Superman films from the seventies, mm-hmm. and then you had all a couple of franchises that people like a, an uncomfortably large amount of people didn't realize were comics, so like mm-hmm. you know Blade and Spawn and and the Crow and stuff like that. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of these jokes are not landing 
mm-hmm. circa 1999. Mm-hmm. But circa 2019, shit, man, they're landing hard. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. I think going back a little bit to the special effects, uh, I yeah, the CGI scenes, like you could tell that they were CGI. Mm-hmm. There were some of the... Um, I mean, obviously they didn't need it in there. Obviously we couldn't just have a bowling ball on a string that would look stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I'm I'm more prepared to to look the other way because as this is such it, it's a comedy, you know. Mm-hmm. I think if if they were trying to suck me into realism, I'd have a harder time with it. But some of the even like the stage, like the setting, prop work wasn't. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess in a in a visual way, it doesn't age as well as I think it does in um with the dialogue and the and the jokes. You know, those I feel are are better today than they were when it mm-hmm. came out but certainly the special effects you know yeah it, it, they don't they don't hold up as well I'll, I'll concede that so i think that's about all i've got for like this movie on what we liked what we didn't like are you guys cool mm-hmm. to move on to quotes yeah yeah who wants to go first who wants to share their quote all right i'm gonna throw out a casanova frankenstein <laughs> quote here um so quick setting here casanova gets all the gangs you know back together they're kind of they're going around the table kind of reintroducing everybody one of those gangs oh man they're the the frat boys you know they're they're serving time for lethal hazing you know they're just (laughs) freaking just they're frat boys you know Mm -hmm. and frat boys are just naturally villainous of course but at the at the end of that scene, he's gonna get up and he's gonna show him this defraculator, and he's gonna he's gonna you know show everybody their, their plan. So they're getting up, and then one of the uh, one of the the frat boys, I think, it was played by Michael Bay, looks up at Casanova Frankenstein and says, you know, hey, can we can we bring the brewskis? And so like Casanova looks at him and he says, yes, of course, you may absolutely bring such brewskis. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good Casanova, too, yeah. dude. That was solid. Yeah. The delivery. Watch out, Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> Absolutely bring Spruce Kiss. I feel like we didn't mention that, that, like, Casanova has this, like, weird oh, sort of accent yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that was a solid Casanova so Frankenstein you just did. Mm-hmm. So good. What do you got, Tim? All right, let's see here. God, like, Janine Garofalo and Eddie Izzard steal the scene so much because... <laughs> Oh, God, he almost goes into his stamps like, yes, because I killed him. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but leaving uh, Tom, uh, Tom Waits' uh, mad scientist carnival shop, I just love her little like <laughs> uh, walk away quote. Like, see, this is why you go with the garden variety scientists, not the mad scientists. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. So I had like, as we've done in the past, I just have like a truckload of these and i think mark did a good job at he didn't even know he was doing it reining me in when he said like every line in this movie is a quote um so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna really like dial it back and go to one and that one is one that i know most of this movie like line for line and this is one that i didn't know and it just it should be one that i knew because it's fucking hilarious and it, it jumps out um, but they're like driving into battle in their Herkim- Herkimer battle Jenny, and they're they're on their way to Castle Frankenstein's mansion, and the shoveler is driving and he's trying to get everybody inspired and trying to communicate the how dire the situation is, and he's like, "We've got a blind date with destiny, and it looks like she's ordered the lobster." <laughs> <laughs> that line will absolutely be uttered by me now. At least once every two weeks. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so absurd. <laughs> it looks just, like she's ordered the lobster. You know, when you sit there like, oh, or, where, where's the... What? <laughs> it's in the... High stakes. It's it's high stakes. <laughs> no, that's a surf and turf. That's, a sur- that's oh, where yeah. she orders the high stakes and mm-hmm. lobster. I'm just saying, you know, the <laughs> yes. the steak man robs the salad man every time when we split the check three ways. All I'm yeah. saying is that when we split the check three ways, the steak eater picks the pocket of the salad man. <laughs> Why don't you throw a knife or something? Oh, that's right. I'm a knifey boy now. I'm, like, I'm, I'm knifey not stab boy. man. I'm not stab man. The, the blue, blue Raja. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's gonna save these for your wedding day but i think that's gonna be a long way uh, <laughs> yeah. we can keep going <laughs> every line of this movie is mm-hmm. just is just gold mm-hmm. um so i am interested in hearing some ratings what do we got gentlemen tim i'm so torn because there's a lot of luck about this but i feel like again because i can't gauge this on too much of usher's other work because i don't know it all right i'm gonna jump in yeah can like, i jump in yeah all right, so I'm I'm just gonna like flat out say I've been for some reason mulling this this number over my head and it just mm-hmm. feels right. I'm gonna go seven point seven Herkimer Battle Jennies. Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta give I gotta give points to the ensemble cast because I love them so much. Don't know the director that well, and I gotta take points away. Oh, you for... can't take a points away because you don't know the director though. <sighs> He's friends with Michael Bay. <laughs> this yeah. is true. Yeah, um... Michael Bay could be a delight. Sometimes. And just a person who is partial to explosions mm-hmm. and giant. No, robots. I heard he's great to like work with. Um, <laughs> I heard wonderful things. Um, also, I heard he invented the bay leaf. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, no, he was the born uh, born of a bay leaf. Born of a bay leaf. He was of the Fey Wilds, and they plucked him. Oh, okay. Yes. But um, his it was his family that was responsible for like most Italian cuisine mm-hmm. and like good sauces. For sure. Is that true? That might. That might be true, but I'm going to be honest with you. I was too busy trying to calculate my units of measurement mm-hmm. here. Um, all right, I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. it. Okay, it. I'm going to give this the highest rating I have ever given a movie in the history of this podcast. Okay, and I'm going to defend it by saying I fucking love this movie, mm-hmm. and I'm not listening if you have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to shut my ears. I fucking love this movie. Okay, I'm going to give this nine out of ten defraculators okay nine out of ten that's heavy duty man now there are several Mm. like you know point notches i guess i could go higher but this is a movie that like i i could watch it a thousand times because it's so rewatchable you know is it a technically good movie maybe you could debate that but i'm not gonna (laughs) because i love it all right so i'm definitely in favor of the nine out of ten if that's your personal that is my perspective however i would you also agree that like there are definitely contingents of people that, like, I might not recommend this movie to. I think, like, my parents' generation, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'd be hit and miss on on who would actually find this movie amusing. Mm-hmm. I think people who, like you said, are like, you know, you said, oh, I'm not looking at this, like, super technically. I feel like people who, get, who have, like, a stick up their ass about technical bullshit when it comes to films would be kind of annoyed with this movie is that would you would you agree that it's I, not for absolutely everybody i agree and while i'm not going to give what the imdb rating is i you know a guess that the imdb rating you can look it up if you want to probably reflects a more reasonable approach um but don't, again don't look up don't look up it's gross domestic <laughs> box office yeah yeah it's very sad but, but again i think that's like that's yeah. because in 99 this movie was way ahead of its time mm-hmm. 
You know, and it's yeah. aged so well, and yeah. it's it's so relevant now. Yeah, but the beautiful thing about the the defraculator um, unit of measurement is it's um, it's entirely made up. But it's also like Herkimer battle jennies are well; those are they're rounded. immune to defraculators. Well, so there's almost no conversion. I think there there could be some debate there. You know, I don't want I don't want to turn the page mm-hmm. just yet. You know, on the fine. Let's just junk it. The the cla- There you go. We'll just junk it. Mm-hmm. So all right, out of ten. That's a that that's a joke from the movie. Sorry, if, if those it. of you who don't <laughs> just junk it. It's that that's me playing like a seventy year old woman. I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah. All right, you've been him on, Tim. What do you got? Yeah, what do you I'm got? Sorry, Hit us I, with it. I am going over the fifty percentile, but not as high as you guys. Um, five point nine pinky knives. <laughs> Five point nine pinky knives now. Yeah. Pinky cams. Can I be pinky cams? <laughs> can I be difficult, you know, and say that a pinky cam mm-hmm. is pretty fucking sweet? Oh, it's very sweet. Yeah. So mm-hmm. would five point nine pinky cams be closer to a ten out of ten for anything else? No, because it's a, it's a smaller digit on the rest of the hand. Oh. Yeah. Now, oh. if it was like you know, if I was really gun ho about this, if I thought it aged appropriately and i thought they didn't kind of overload their plate as much as they wanted to like they didn't leave anything out they left in so many decades they left in so many hero tropes they left in so many things they uh left in so many jokes it's like okay you're you're too much movie (laughs) you're too much (laughs) um i would have given it yeah i would have given it a big gold finger armor (laughs) a big gold finger (laughs) big gold finger armors for your index finger yeah all right, well... Mm, but pinky cam, sorry. I guess I'll just have to accept mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe you don't love the movie as much as I do. I don't. This was Mark's pick. This was, I'm sorry, We should have led with that. Yeah. No one would have guessed that. Well, I think I like this more than 1408, I think it's so. an amazing pick. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think 1408 was an amazing pick, but <laughs> yeah. I think this this was Again, well, we're going to have pick bias. Like, <laughs> next, time, next time around, I'm totally going to have pick bias, so, you know. So, uh, I think that's uh, all we've got for this one. Yeah. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, let's let's cut the podcast and watch it again! Uh, Alright, so that is all we have for the All Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at 3, that's the number 3, meninabasement at gmail.com. Until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark Hulp. Timothy Magic. And uh, we'll see you in cyberspace. Peace. Thank you.